Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. We begin with the name of God, most gracious, most merciful. Uh, I'll be very, very quick because I have about 15 minutes. And uh, the first part of my talk is to talk about overall big themes uh, in terms of the depiction of, mo of, of Muslims in movies. And then to go from there to talk about the specific types of characters we see over and over again. And then, if time permits, to talk about what we can or should do. So having said that, jumping right into it. The first part, looking at the overall big themes. First, uh, I want us to think about the idea of us versus them, we versus them. So even when we call ourselves, our, call ourselves Western tradition, what are we implying? If there's a West, there's an East, right? And so if we go back, looking at how Western tradition today frames itself, even looking back at history, we can go all the way back to the 500s or the 1500s. 500s to the 1000s of our calendar, you had the conflict between Rome and Constantinople, leading eventually into, into the, the Great Schism. Move forward to the 1500s, this is the time of Martin Luther, and then he would speak about the Turkish onslaught, and the Turks were basically Muslims, and so West versus East became Europe, European Christianity versus, versus Turkish Islam. Then if we move forward to the 20th century, West versus East was who? Who was West? It was us who was East. The Soviet Union was East, right? It was capitalism versus communism until the fall of, of, of the Berlin Wall, the fall of communism. And then right after that, we have Samuel Huntington who writes his paper, The Clash of Civilizations, which became one of the most read foreign policy papers ever. And he said the world has changed. And now there are six different regions in the world, but America or the West will then be fighting against in a civilization war between China and Islam. Meaning, he says other parts of the world, there's the old Soviet Union, which is the Eastern Orthodox world, the Latin American world, and the African world. But now it's the West, most likely versus China, or the West, most likely versus Islam. And if we think of the politics that have been taking place for the last 20-some years, that's what we've been seeing quite a bit. So West versus East became America, China, or America and, and Islam. So that's the first point to think about. But also related to West versus East, a deeper point that relates to all of us, think about how you think of yourself when you think of whoever we is. And think about how you think of the other people for whomever you think they are. And here's what often happens. We often think of ourselves according to the best of our ideals. And we often think about the people on the other side according to the worst of their stereotypes. So for example, if I ask you, what are the stereotypes we have about women in Islam? Or what are the stereotypes we have about East Asian women I would suggest that a lot of those are very similar. We would talk about education. We would talk about submission to the husbands. We would talk about um, uh, clothing, whether we talk about Muslim women or whether we talk about East Asian women. But then when we talk about American women, Western women, we often speak of Western women as liberated, as educated, right? We look at ourselves according to the best of our ideals. We look at them according to the worst of their stereotypes. But then when we apply this to the real world, it gets a little bit complicated because we still haven't had a female president, right? We came close, you know, you know maybe yet we actually did, but you know, <laughs> right? Pakistan has had a head of state, a democratically head of state that is female. Bangladesh has had two. Indonesia has had one. Turkey has had one. Iran has had a democratically elected vice president. And we can go down the whole list. And so sometimes when we take the stereotypes and try to apply them to the real world, things get a little bit more complicated. So the first point to think about is West versus East. The second point, moving further into the question of gender. 
especially in terms of depictions of Islam. That often when we think of the, re the relationship of gender, the way it plays out in our perception of the Muslim world, we think of men as the authorities, the firm authorities of this stereotypical Muslim household, and we think of the woman as, as the, the, uh, the, the one who's submitting to the man. Now, uh, if I were to ask how many of the Muslims in this room does that actually apply to, I don't think anybody would raise their hand, right? <laughs> Definitely not in, in any of the houses of my extended family, right? We have the joke that uh, dad is the boss of the house, but whatever mom says goes, right? <laughs> Yeah, how many people are saying yes right now? <clears throat> but that is a stereotype that we have. And that is a stereotype that we have that we see often in, in movies about Muslims going back at least to the late 1980s with not, not Without My Daughter. This is a Sally Field movie where she gets married to an Iranian man. He, takes, uh, he kidnaps the daughter back into America, and then yeah, she has to go across the world and, and save uh, her daughter, right? This is something that goes even further back. If you go to one of the first movies about, about Muslims, The Sheik, with Rudolf Valentino, here you have this man who's a bandit, and he is seductive, and what does he want to do? He wants to seduce women, in between, when he has time, when he's not killing people from other tribes, right? Yeah. It's the same theme that runs over and over again. Or to take it even a step further, how many of you have seen what is correctly considered to be one of the greatest films of all time, Lawrence of Arabia? Raise your hand. Okay. Okay. Uh, how many women are there in that film? <laughs> Zero. I literally watched to see if I could find a single woman, maybe even in the background holding a sign or something. No, there's nobody, right? A pink hat. Okay. So that is something that is always part of the conversation about, about uh, uh, Muslims. And then the third, of course, is politics. Okay. And you can even pinpoint a few times in the 20th century where politics, global politics, affected Western cinema. One, which isn't talked about very much, is in the 1920s, there was a lot of interest in our society of what we call arabesque art, oriental art. So the Medina Temple is from that uh, uh, basic genre, or the Regal Theater on the south side is from that genre. But what is taking place at this time? This is the fall of the Ottoman Empire, the rise of Ataturk. Okay? Move forward. Into the 1960s, you have the rise of Arab nationalism. Jamal Abdel Nasser, he takes over Egypt as part of this massive movement across Syria, Jordan, all into North Africa of Arabs trying to reassert themselves. And that's exactly when you see Lawrence of Arabia come. And then shortly after that, you see Khartoum, which is with Lawrence Olivier and Richard Burton. Very similar story to what we see in terms of Lawrence of Arabia. And then jump forward 1973, 1972. What happens in 1972? Uh, right before the oil crisis. This is the killing of the Israeli athletes at Munich. Okay? And then immediately after that, we have the, the uh, embargo by OPEC. And then what we see in that time, we start seeing these movies about Arab conspiracies to control the world. Okay? We've forgotten most of them now. And then, of course, you move forward to 1993, the first World Trade Center bombing, and, of course, 2001. And what am I saying here that our politics also play out? And the easiest example of that is to think of the people of Afghanistan. So how many of you have heard of Rambo? <laughs> right? Rambo, the ultimate American star back in the 1980s. Sylvester Stallone was the biggest of the big. So his third movie is dedicated to the Mujahideen of Afghanistan. Okay. What do we call the Mujahideen today? The Taliban. We call them terrorists today. It's the same people. And so the line is, one man's terrorist is another man's freedom fighter. 
right? And it depends on, on our politics, how we look at them. That's the second point. Or the, uh, so that's the first point, we versus them, gender, and politics. Now, moving from there, <clears throat> what are the most, types, the most common types of Muslims you see in Hollywood? Number one, the Muslim as foreigner. Okay. Uh, Islam is at a presence in this land going back at least to 1619 with the transatlantic slave trade. Some argue that Islam has had a presence in these lands going even centuries earlier. But often when we imagine Islam, as we do even the, in the current political situation, we think of Muslims as a new population in our society, right? And it's appreciated in the sense that so many people are standing up with us right now regarding this immigration ban, right? But I've been here for 40 plus years. When people tell me to go back to my country, uh, I don't know where that would be, my passport's from here. In fact, this is absolutely true to show you what an immature kid I used to be. Uh, when I used to drive around the city, every time I saw someone who was Indian or Pakistani, I would, sh I would open a window and shout, hey, go back to my country. <laughs> this is absolutely true. Yeah. Okay. So one is this emphasis on showing Muslims as foreigners. I would often get even interviewed by people who would try to argue that there's a difference between Muslims from the Arab world and South Asia versus Muslims who are black American, but it's the same Islam. There are splinter groups like the Nation of Islam. We can talk about that later. The second, of course, is the depiction of Muslims as savages. And right now, the basic framing is the terrorist. Whereas before that, I mentioned the sheik, the sheik who's living in the desert. And what is the common element? These are people who find joy, who have a natural desire to kill, okay? who have a natural desire to be violent, because that's what they are like. In contrast to us, we are civilized. Okay? And <clears throat> the third is the depiction of the pious Muslim. So uh, as, as uh, Terry mentioned, you know, I work on, on these TV shows uh, that depict Muslims. And often the approach is, let's show all these really savage Muslims, but to balance it out, we'll have one really good person, right? Who's really pious, who smiles, is really naive, and to show that they're Western, they also drink alcohol, right? This is, a, this is kind of an absurdity, but to show balance, there'll often be a, a depiction of a pious Muslim. So three types, the foreigner, the savage, and then the naive, uh, pious person. So this leads us to the last point. Where do we go from here? Uh, if I were to ask all the Muslims in this room, how many of you have physicians in your family? Don't raise your hand, because all of you will raise your hand, right? <laughs> uh, the simple question is, uh, all of us agree that there needs to be an improvement in the depictions of, of, of Muslims. And it's not just Muslims. It applies to almost every single ethnic group. Here we're talking about Muslims. It comes down to, number one, investing your children into those fields. What do you think, Yassine? Do you agree? Yeah, he agrees. Yeah, mashallah. Okay. Uh, it's funny. When I, when I was in film school, I was the only religious-ish Muslim among the Muslims in class. And just because I felt free, I'd go pray in the hallway. And uh, the religious Muslims would kind of run away, right? Then over the course of the next few semesters, quite a few other religious Muslims came in, but almost none of us were able to continue in our work uh, because there isn't patronage for it. So what I'm suggesting is if we want to see a change, we have to take ownership of it. And with that, thank you very much for your time. Peace and blessings of God be upon you. As always, thank you, Omar. That was